Folks, we're going to look at a couple of psalms tonight, devotionally. And the first one is Psalm 121, and the other one is Psalm 46. So Psalm 121 and Psalm 46, those are two that pair very well together, I think, and um, see what the Lord might might teach us through them. I'm going to read Psalm 121, and I'll ask you to follow along with me. I'll tell you what, while you're still turning there, why don't we pray together? There are some needs in our church that we're aware of. Um, I think it would be appropriate for us to lift those up now as we begin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege, the ability to be able to come together to look at your word to be reminded of what it says, to locate ourselves in the middle of your story. God, I pray that we would do that tonight. We pray especially that you would be with those of our body who are, who are sick and who are hurting. Uh, we remember uh, Miss Sherry Tetral as she is seeking to get over uh, pneumonia. And we, we pray for Ravon Tidwell. We ask you, God, for him uh, just to restore his health in a mighty way. Pray that you would comfort his, comfort his, his mind and his, his spirit uh, during this time while we're, we're asking for the medicine to do its work. God, I pray that just during this really strange time where you have to go through something uh, quite uh, you know, scary in an isolated way, we pray that you, would just <clears throat> that you would just bind him up in all the ways that he needs to be bound up. Uh, as he walks through this. Uh, Lord, we pray that tonight, as we look to your scriptures, that it would, uh, it would bring comfort and that it would bring um, assurance of who you are and of um, the things that we need to glean from your character. So, Lord, help us to do that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Is there any update from Ravon that would be different from what we knew this morning? Thank you for that. Thank you for that update. And he is at Tenova. Is that right? Tenova? Okay. All right. Well, Psalm 121, and then we will pivot to Psalm 46. Psalm 121, pivot to Psalm 46. And it goes this way. Um, I was about to say, John, I thought you were going to grab a paper, but there are none tonight. Um, it says this in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. 
The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I need to talk about a couple of things from this passage, uh, from this psalm, and it will also apply to Psalm 46. And that is that for the believer, we have only one proper source of comfort. Okay, And when we seek to be comforted by things outside of Christ, that's usually an invitation for sin. Okay? There are, there are shelters that people tend to run toward, right? In the midst of trial or in the midst of, I don't know, um, weak moments. Uh, the classic ones, of course, would be, you know, uh, substances running to those shelters, um, which, which are really, of course, no shelters at all. Um, lately... You know, one, one way uh, that has become very popular to, uh, to find refuge in something other than Christ is through just distraction, right? It's become, it's become very easy to distract ourselves or to entertain ourselves. We have so much on-demand entertainment now that it's possible to kind of lose ourselves in another world so that we don't have to deal with the world that we are in. Okay, so of course you know we would we would we would think of that as being better than drugs or alcohol, but still yet any any source of comfort other than Christ is a false source of comfort. And so one of the ways that we demonstrate to God that we really do believe that He is who He says He is, is that we take all of our problems to Him. Um, because taking our problems elsewhere is a demonstration that we think that those things are actually replacement gods. But they can't do what he can. And so, as we kind of think about those things, we look at this psalm. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. You can imagine this person looking, you know, looking up out of his despair. Or looking up out of his, um, out of his situation from where... Does my help come? And then he says this statement in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's a couple different ways to look at this. You know, Psalms, or we, we, we kind of interpret Psalms different, differently than we do other passages of Scripture. Out of this experience that this man, this psalmist is, is undergoing... He kind of he makes this claim, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In other words, it is as if he is saying, the only time that I am ever really helped, I know that it is because it has come from the Lord. Even when I try to rest in other refuges, even when I try to find shelter in other places, those things never really satisfy and so, when help does come, it comes from the Lord. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And then notice the characteristic about God. The Lord who made heaven and earth. It's reinforcing this idea that the only true place 
to find refuge is in Him. Why? Because He's the only one powerful enough to do for us what we need in our moment of need. He is the maker of heaven and earth. So you'll see this pattern in Psalm 121, in Psalm 46, and elsewhere, that God's character is the reason why He can be trusted. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And so what characteristic is the psalmist pointing to here? He's pointing to God's creative power. Why can we have confidence that God understands our situation? Because, I mean, He did the design. He created us. Why can we have confidence that God is able to get us out of our situation? Because His power is such that He spoke everything that exists into being. So there's no question of His power. There's no question of His understanding. And then we'll see later, there's no question of His goodness. Look what it says. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He's not like the, the fickle gods, the pagan gods of the Old Testament and the New Testament who perhaps need to be, they need to be assuaged. They need to be kind of coaxed into doing something. They need to be poked with a stick to wake up, right? Remember, this is what the prophets of, this is what Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. Like, is, is, is Baal sleeping, right? He, he taunted them, these false gods. Is he, actually, if you get into the languages a little bit, is, is, he, uh, is, he, is he gone to the restroom, in other words? Like, is he sleeping or is he, is he indisposed at this moment? Our God is not like that. He will never slumber nor sleep. And then verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In other words, if we have to, or if our, if our confidence begins to flag, if our confidence begins to fail about who God is and what He can do, look back to all the history of how He has always taken care of His people. Right? If you can't fix your eyes on a time in your life, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes in, in the midst of times when I'm, I'm not trusting the Lord as I should, it's hard for me to remember all the times that He's been so good to me in the past, right? And that's, why, that's why I walk around with this. Everything that happens to me, I write down in one of these little books so that I can return and remember about the Lord's goodness because I think it's actually a tactic of the devil to try to get you to forget just how deeply God has been good to you in the past. And in your situation, all you can think about, right, your situation ends up getting about this close up to your face and you, you can't see anything past it. And so we have to remind ourselves of what God has done for us in the past. And then if we can't even think about those times, we just look to the scriptures to see how he has been good to his people all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. I need to make a comment about this word, keep. The Hebrew word for keep is the same. It's, it's used interchangeably depending on the context. Maybe your Bible says guard, right? A couple different times later. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Does anybody's Bible translation, if it's other than the ESV, anybody's Bible translation say the Lord will guard you in, in there? Maybe. What about the Lord will keep your going in? That's an interesting way to put it, right? In verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. What does it mean he will keep it? Well, he will guard it, right? He'll watch over it. Um, and so this word keep, the Lord is your keeper. Uh, I think we could, we could probably safely, without doing any kind of damage to the text, we could take a little liberty here and, and have the word in the back of our mind about guardian. The Lord is our keeper. He's our guardian. Um, he keeps us. He guards us. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. In other words, even when it feels like what's happening to you is getting at your most deep being, your, your, your core of who you are, really the most important things about you are secure in Christ. Neither height nor depth, nothing can separate you, Romans chapter 8 says. Nor, nor sword, nor pestilence, which just means death, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And as a matter of fact, it's been a while since I've read that passage. I would love to, to read it right now. Uh, if I can put my eyes on it. Does anybody know that what that verse is just right off the top of your mind? I know it's Romans 8, goodness. Yeah. Okay. Yep, all right. Let's pick it up in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So he's talking about the character of God, right? That's why we can have confidence because it's God who justifies sinners. It's God who sits at the right, I mean, it's, it's Christ who sits at the right hand of God. And then it rolls into verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, in other words, trials, you're walking through a trial, is that going to separate you from the love of Christ? No, can't be taken away or distress, or persecution even when people are being ungodly toward you. Can that separate you from the love of Christ? No. Or famine. So physical things, physical things happening around you. A loss of a job or, or actually actual hunger. Can that separate you from the love of Christ? No. Or nakedness, right? It even gets worse. You don't even have your most basic needs taken care of. Can that separate you from the love of Christ? What about danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, you can imagine how this passage was such a consolation for the early believers who were indeed being killed for what they believed. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. As a matter of fact... There was so much persecution, so much death of Christians, Christians being boiled alive, Christians being stuffed inside the carcasses of dead animals, and then have the, the lions released to them in the Colosseum, being crucified upside down, all manner of heinous and, and terrible ways to die. And the church advanced in the midst of all that. So much so that the early church fathers could say that it was the blood of the martyrs that was the seed of the church. The church grew in a strange, strange fashion during the time that Christians were being killed. No, it says in verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So when you turn on Joel Osteen and he's just ripping this verse out of context, good gracious. 
I'm about to start preaching here in a second if I'm not careful. Being a more than conquerors doesn't have anything to do in this context with you just achieving your own goals and, and reaching your vista of, of financial prosperity or anything like that. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. In other words, when you are walking through the darkest valley and you are reminded that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, that is when you recognize, that's when you realize what it means to be a conqueror. That nothing can really get you. Nothing can really get to where you are because you are safe inside Jesus. Through, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, right? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That would be enough uh, if, if we stopped there. But why don't we just keep going? The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. You think about, think guard. The Lord will keep you or guard you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will guard your life. It is safe with Him. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. When we think of security... You, know, we th you think of like a safe deposit box at the bank, right? Through a couple different layers of security. And, and there are two, two keys. You need two keys. And nobody has both of those keys at the same time. But even safer than that is who you are if you are in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I remember having a, a teacher in high school. And it was freshman year. And, you know, of course, we're freshmen. We're, you know, he's trying to impress upon us all the things that we need to know. And so... In earth science. And we get in there and he, he talks to us about how, how important it is to get an education, right? And he says, because your education, nobody can ever take that away from you, right? Once you get it, it's yours forever, I remember him saying, right? And he's true. It's true, right? Your education is, and he, he, was, he was referring to like a degree, right? Once you get it, you've got it. But then even that is is not immune to what if the economy goes downward in the very area where you got an education? Or what if even if, even if not, you, you lose your job or you become disabled or all kinds of things, there is something even more secure than an education, something even more secure than a safety deposit box at a bank, something even more secure than Fort Knox, and that is, that is who we are inside of Christ. So let's make our investments there. If you if you look at Psalm 46 as we kind of pivot. Psalm 46 very much in the same vein as Psalm 121. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Okay, so first he paints a picture, he's our refuge and strength, okay? But he's a very present help in trouble. In other words, the psalmist in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this case, wants to remind us of a character trait of God, that He can be trusted as a good refuge because He's never absent. He is, as we know Him now, Emmanuel, God with us. And so if it was true that God was present in the Old Testament, 
When His presence was the tabernacle, His presence was in the temple, His presence was in the, I don't know, the burning bush or the pillar of fire, or His presence is in these places, it's even more true now on this side of the cross where Jesus has ascended into heaven and now we have the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in the heart of every believer. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So, in other words, no matter, even if it seems like your world is crumbling, even if it seems like the most basic things that you've always been able to depend on, the fact that that mountain has always been there and it gets moved into the sea, the fact that 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 rock has always been there, but that rock is no longer there. It reminds us that there is a rock who never moves. In verse 4, I think, paints a picture that might remind us of something else in Scripture. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's probably a southern gospel song by that name. There is a river. Or maybe a group. That sounds like a good one if nobody's claimed that when they need to. There is a... I can hear it now, you know. Somebody with the, you know, the microphones with the long cords, you know. There is a river. Remember the river? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when, I, when I preached here in view of a call, um, I talked about, you know, the, the, the two trees. And there's really three trees, right? But in the Garden of Eden, there was a river, you know. Next to that river was a tree, and the fruit of that tree, when Adam and Eve ate it, brought in all kinds of discord and destruction and death and disease and uh, all kinds of things through sin, sin's entrance into the world. But then in the new heaven and the new earth, it says that there's also a river there, and it runs through the middle of the city. And next to that river is another tree, The Bible says in Revelation 21 that the leaves of that tree, or perhaps Revelation 22, but it's one of those two chapters, that the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. In other words, one day, everything that was made wrong in Eden will be made right in the new Jerusalem. And it says here in Psalm 46, there is a river. In other words, there is a hope. There is a rock. There is a reason why we can have hope. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. How could the psalmist back in the Old Testament know about this? Unless he was inspired by the same God who inspired John centuries later to write Revelation. How could he know that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God? the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. In other words, in God's kingdom, the rivers don't move. The mountains don't get moved into the sea. In our world, that does happen. But in God's kingdom, it won't. In God's kingdom, everything is safe. Everything is secure. Verse 6, the nations rage, like political things happen that make us fearful. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. It seems like things are about to go off the rails. 
different parts of our country and from time to time even in our own country. But he utters his voice and the earth melts. In other words, if God is who he says he is, we should not fear who's in the White House because we know who occupies heaven. We should not fear who's in the Supreme Court. We should not fear who sits in seats on Capitol Hill because at the end of the day, God will preserve his church and God will reign over all of the lesser rulers of this earth. He has total control. We certainly want these people to to rule justly. We certainly want to for those who do occupy all these seats to honor God with, uh, their, with their role and with their position. But let us never become people who are fearful because we know the King who sits above them. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So say, okay, so you, you see what he's doing now. He's reminding us of what God has done in the past. He's reminding us that this is not just the God of creation. He's not just the God who is near His people. He's the God who has been good to His people all throughout salvation history. He's the God of Jacob, right? He's the God of of Israel. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Okay, so this is getting reinforced again. Remember what God has done. Behold His works in your life, in the Bible, in history. Come, behold the works of God. How He has brought desolations on the earth, right? He's the one who makes kings rise. He's the one who makes kings fall. He makes wars to cease at the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And it is in light of all of this, everything that we have read, that this verse that might be on a little uh, vinyl on your wall in your house or on a little plaque somewhere, in your house, it is in light of all of this that this verse comes into play. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, right? He doesn't say exalt me among the nations. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. In other words, there's no doubt about it. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friends, our God is a trustworthy God. He's not only the one who, I think, if we were to take up testimony time here tonight, we could probably fill the better part of a couple of hours in all the different manifold ways that God has been good to each of us in this room. God is not only a God who's been good to us. He's a God who's been good in history. He's a God who's been good to His people in Old and New Testament. He's a comforter. He's king, he is king of kings, and he is the one who, because of all of his characteristics, because he's good, because he's wise, because he's kind, and because he's powerful, because of all of his characteristics, he can tell us to be still and know that he is God. So friends, I think that would be enough for us to pray tonight, that we would be able to do that that we would be able to gaze on who God is and to be still, knowing that He is trustworthy. So, in that vein, would you pray with me? And we will ask God to confirm these truths in our hearts. Then when we get done praying, you'll be dismissed. Let's pray. 
Oh God, we are tempted every day, every moment, because of our sin, because of Genesis 3, because we, because we, everything inside of us is twisted just a little bit. We talked last week about how our sense of justice is twisted. Lord, our sense of right and wrong is twisted. Our sense of who you are is twisted. And so we're tempted every day to think of you in a way that's just a little bit off. We're tempted to think of you as less than loving, as less than powerful, as less than willing to come to our aid. We're tempted to think of you in ways that are not true. And when these moments come, we have to look to your word to be reminded of who you are. You are the God of Jacob. You are the God who raises and who deposes kings. You are the God of creation. You made everything that is, and you are the sustaining God. You hold everything that you created, you hold it in place. Lord, we live in a world where tomorrow seems uncertain. Many rocks that we have known, many mountains that we have known have in our lifetimes been moved into the sea and it causes fear in our hearts. But we know that you are the one rock who will never be moved. And so God, would you instill in us such a deep and such a fixed understanding of who you are that we can no longer entertain fear, despair, Sorrow in light of your character. Give us a sense of who you are, Lord, in our, in our moments of need so that we can be a people who trust you and who can say that our hearts are still because we know who our God is. Would you do that, God? Would you do it in my heart so that I would not be fearful, so that I would not be downcast, would you do it in our hearts, in all of the ways that are needed, in the hearts of every person in this room, those watching at home, and those who aren't with us tonight, uh, members and attenders of our church, would you give us a vision of who you are and make that vision to change us? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. Be safe, have fun, and... Um, I guess that's it. Have a good night.